All right, so now we're going to get ready to move into week four of my series called For the Common Good. This, this has been a very difficult series for me to preach because I think like all of you or some of you, there are some things that I had to learn more so about the Holy Spirit. This has really forced me as a pastor to study more, to, to listen to people more that I know have more knowledge when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit moving. And my challenge really was to try to define, with God's help, obviously, what this is going to look like for home church. Because as I have said, there are churches around Tulsa that have very publicly admitted, they, or they have omitted, the flow of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in their services. And that, to me, is not scriptural. Amen. Amen. But here's the thing, my, my challenge also was, okay, what, what is actually the move of the Holy Spirit, and then what is just weird? Okay, because we have younger generations that are coming into our church that are skeptical of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And me, being a former Catholic, and not really understanding what or who, I should say, the Holy Spirit is, and how he moves you know, when I first had the experience of, of experiencing the Holy Spirit at Grace Fellowship Church 25, 26 years ago, it was weird. And it wasn't because they were doing anything weird. It's just that when God moves and we as humans in the flesh, in the natural, when he moves, he moves supernaturally. It's just going to be kind of strange, right? And so what I want to do is I want to talk about biblically and scripturally what that looks like. And that's what I've been trying to do over the last three weeks. And today, specifically, what my message is going to communicate is how the gifts are supposed to flow in this, the church, so that we have an understanding of what's truly God moving and what, as Paul says, are people that are out of their minds. Those are his words, not mine. So if you remember the very first week, we talked about when Jesus was at the Last Supper, he said to his disciples that I am going to send to you a helper, the Holy Spirit. And at the point of receiving Jesus by faith as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in you. And he is there to help you. And he brings everything to your remembrance as to what Jesus said, what you have done in your Bible time, spending time in his word, then he's also there to give you the peace that the world can't give. And how many of us need some of that peace right now? Peace that God only can give and not what the world gives, right? So that's great. He's there for us. But then I gave you the following week how the Holy Spirit is there for others. And that he uses us to be witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit so that other people can come to Jesus so that other people can be encouraged, so that other people can be healed or delivered. And I gave you the three you wills. So when Jesus was about to ascend, he had his disciples there with him on the Mount of Olives, and he said, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Then he said, you will have power. And then he said, you will be my witnesses. And if he said it to those disciples on Mount Olives, he says that to us right now, the church today. Because the church is still the church after 2,000 years. Amen? Then I talked to you about how 
we have the Holy Spirit upon us for others to be in love. We are to love other people by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's so important because without love, we can operate in the gifts, but see, people don't experience totally God if there's no love with the gifts operating. If I were to lay hand on somebody and they get healed, praise God for it. But if there's no love, then what Paul said is the three nothings. If the gifts don't operate in love, then I attract nothing. Nobody's going to come really truly to know Jesus if I don't operate in love. The second thing he says is, I am nothing. Why am I nothing? Because if I truly was doing it in love and was connected to Jesus, then this was going to show that God is true. But if I'm not connected to Jesus, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You are nothing. All you are is a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong. And then the third nothing was basically that I, not, not only am I not attracting anything, and I am nothing, but I can do nothing. I'm just not doing anything. It's fruitless. We're not going to get any rewards unless we are doing it in love. And so this leads me to this week, and we're going to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you want to turn in your Bibles, you can. And I'm going to be reading from the ESV translation. Listen, I have a lot to get through today. And some of it's going to be very repetitive. Paul is extremely repetitive in this chapter. You're going to see some themes in here. They're going to be called out an awful lot. But what I want you all to do, if you're taking notes, is I want you to write some things down, and I am actually going to give you some slides with some notes on them that you can write down if you're a note taker. Or if you're just visual, you like to look at something, and it just helps you to remember, that's how I am, it's going to help you. Because this is really going to define as home church, how we are going to move forward when it comes to operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So the very first thing he says in verse 1 of chapter 14, he says, pursue love. Man, I could just camp out here. We just talked about it last week. But what he says here is pursue love. Does he say here pursue the gifts? No, the very first thing he says is pursue love. What kind of love? That's agape love. That's God's kind of love. That's love that's patient. That's love that's kind. That's love that is undeserved, unmerited. That's love that that really sometimes does not come back to us if we reach out to serve people. Believe me, Jesus experienced that, right? He loved people unconditionally. He had compassion on them, and then he healed them. And in most cases, nothing came back to him. That's why love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. It's a decision. If we base it on feelings, then there's no way we're going to love people truly. It requires sacrifice. How do we pursue love? Pursue Jesus. How do we pursue Jesus? Spend time with him. And next week, I'm going to spend an awful lot of time on that. I have learned so much just by doing this series and recent studies that I've been doing on what it really means to spend time with Jesus. 
If you wanna pursue love, you gotta pursue him because as you're pursuing him and you're getting to know him, and what's gonna happen is he's gonna rub off on you and then you will rub off on people. And if you're focused on pursuing him and pursuing God's love, then really the rest of this stuff that I'm going to read doesn't really matter because you're just gonna be. People are gonna come around you and they're gonna have a need and you're just gonna be Jesus to them. So this is awesome when he says to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. The two go hand in hand. My motivation is to love people and then also what I want is I want the gift that the person that I'm engaging needs, then I am earnestly desiring that gift. That's what Paul calls in the last chapter, two chapters ago, the higher gift. And we learned about that too about a couple weeks ago. So earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. He said, especially that you may prophesy. Prophesy is the key word. Prophesy is something that we're going to be talking about here in a minute because this is something that's going to benefit every one of us. If somebody was to give a prophetic word here in this service, it benefits all of us. So what he's saying here is the gifts that I should earnestly desire are the gifts that are going to have the greatest impact on the most people. Prophecy is one of those gifts. Verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So if I'm up here praying in tongues, is that going to benefit you? Is it going to benefit you? No. You're just going to hear me up here praying in the Spirit. You're not going to understand anything that I'm saying. It is not going to benefit you. But it does benefit God. God understands it. He knows what I'm saying. That's my prayer language. And in turn, it also builds me up. But for you all, it does not do anything. Verse 3, he says, but on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Church, how many of us right here need upbuilding, encouragement, and some comfort, consolation? Amen. Absolutely. So then if I come up here and I give you a word in English so that you understand it, and it's a word from God that comes out as prophecy to you all and you understand it, then it should, check my motive, it should build you up, it should encourage you, it should comfort you. Essentially what he's saying here is you may get the gift of prophecy and you may know that you've got to stand up and speak it, but if it's not encouraging, if it's not consoling, if it's not for building up, then be quiet. That really probably was not from God. Love, again, is the motivation. And that's what we measure everything against. Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. There is a lot of building up here, isn't there? This building up is called edification, that fancy word to edify, to build up, which means in the Greek to build a house. Hello, church. We are a house. We are home church. 
When I edify you, you should be built up. Built up in the things of God. Built up by his word. If a prophetic word comes out of my mouth or anybody else that comes up here and gives a word with the microphone, then by golly, we better check it against the word. Because if it's not from the word, if it does not line up with the word, then it does not line up with God and it's not meant to be said. And it will not edify the church. So when we give a word, then it is going to be edifying the church. He said here, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless someone interprets so that the church may be, what? Built up. There is the building up. There is the edification again. What he's saying here is, speaking in tongues is not going to be fruitful for anybody in here. Unless somebody speaks in tongues and then interprets it. And we've seen that a couple weeks ago when we actually had somebody come down here and speak in tongues and then someone else interpreted it. That is a move of the Spirit. That is manifesting the gifts properly so when everyone in here could benefit and understand it. So he goes on in verse 6, Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching. If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? Now, I'll be honest with you, again, I've been in a high school band, and sometimes a flute will play a note, and I wouldn't even know that that was a flute. Or somebody would play something, and it's just like, what instrument is that? And what he's saying here is, Again, if it's not clear, if it's not understandable, then how will you know what God is trying to say? He says, if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is intelligible, not intelligible, that's tongues, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So if somebody came up here and spoke to me in Chinese, I wouldn't have any idea what they're saying. It would not be fruitful. It would not be beneficial to me. It's not going to help me in any way. Therefore, that really is not meant to be said in the church. But if somebody were to stand up and speak a tongue, it could be interpreted, that's for the church, or if they speak up and they give a word in English for all of us to know prophecy in a language that we understand, then it's going to benefit every one of us. So he goes in verse 12, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in what? Building up the church again. Paul is going into the Corinthian church and what he sees and what he witnesses and what he has heard about is nothing but craziness. People praying in the spirit or praying in tongues over one another, people praying in tongues and speaking to each other in tongues, all kinds of things going on, people trying to say prophetic words over each other. There was no order, which we're going to get here in a minute. There was no decency. It was just a mess. So nobody was benefiting out of any of it. 
And what he's saying here is, if you're so eager for the gifts to be manifested, then do it in a way properly to where everyone in the church can benefit. And I've mentioned this last week, I've experienced things in different churches. I've been to conferences, I've been to meetings, I've been to camp meetings, I've been, I have seen things in the charismatic church that is not really what I believe to be the move of the Holy Spirit. Again, what Paul says, if, if I'm not doing it in love, then I attract nothing. And some of the things that I've seen have not been done in love and have not been for the benefit of the people that are there to where it's very off-putting. And you just feel like something ain't right there. Or that person is more about showing off than they are about showing God's love to people. And if I can be transparent with you all, I have had lots of people come to me and saying, we need to move in the gifts of the Spirit. We need to allow that to happen. We need this to happen. We need that to happen. And I have just been very, not resistant, but more as pastor of this church and responsible for everybody here and those that are watching online, concerned about, are we doing this correctly? Is this going to be done again to where people understand what's happening to where it's going to benefit everybody, that it's going to be done decently and in order. And so we're going to get into that here in a minute. So in verse 13, Paul goes on, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Again, this goes back to personal prayer language. You're filled with the Spirit, you're speaking in other tongues, your prayer language to God. If you're praying that out loud, nobody around you is going to know what you're saying. But if, even if you're praying it to yourself in your own prayer time, you're not even going to understand what you're saying. It's just unfruitful. And he says in verse 15, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. What he's saying here is I will pray with tongues and I won't understand but I can also pray and praise God with the understanding I can sit here and say praise Jesus in English and everyone knows what I'm saying I know what I'm saying but I can also pray in the spirit and praise God in the spirit where nobody understands and I don't even understand and that type right there is not benefiting anybody but us and God it goes in verse 16, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your praise to God? To your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying. So Paul starts right here with his concern ultimately being about the outsider. The outsider. Now, I have, I know, I have new people that are here today. I've met some of them. I've seen some of them walk in the doors. They're not necessarily the outsider unless they're not yet in Christ. They have not yet received Jesus. But outsider in the sense that they're not from our church. They're coming and they're visiting. They're experiencing home church for the first time. Maybe this is their second or third time here. And his concern, Paul's concern is, what are we portraying? to those that are coming from outside our church. 
Is it selfishness? Is it trying to demonstrate how holy we are? Is it repelling, off-putting? Or is it done in love and understanding and fruitful so that they can benefit from it? He's very concerned about this. Imagine Paul planting, helping to plant church in Corinth. And, and he's, he's coming and hearing about this and seeing this and, and very, very much spiritual abuse, spiritual misuse going on. And in his mind, he's thinking, I just want to grow the church here. We're the early church. We're starting this thing off. We're kicking this off. I want this church to grow. And he's having to write a difficult letter stating this is how we do it. This is how we need to do it. And so he's concerned. So otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not even know what you were saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being, what? Built up. Are you getting the point? He's having to repeat himself multiple times because he needs us. He needed the Corinthian church to get the point. Verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind, five words in a language that everyone understands, translation for us, five words in the English, in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. What he's saying is, I can outdo praying in the Spirit, outdo praying in tongues all day long. You want to compete with me praying in tongues? Let's go. I'll win every time. But it's not about me. Because I would rather do something for God in church, the gifts of the Spirit manifest through me in a language that people can understand so that it benefits everybody. What is your attitude when you come here to church, church family? See, listen, I came in this morning and I've got things on my mind and things that I want God to do in my life. And the discipline to walk in these doors, the discipline to walk in here and say, you know what? I want God to use me to benefit somebody else in this room. And there, there are so many ways that we can be used by God to do that. See, just because I'm a pastor does not mean that I'm the only one that can give somebody a word, or I'm the only one that can lay hands on somebody that's hurting and God will heal them, or I'm the only one that can give somebody some wisdom or knowledge that comes from God, or I'm the only one that can give a gift of faith so that person can continue to move forward. Every one of us, if you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, you have the God-given ability to be used by him in a mighty way. Amen. What Paul is saying is, yeah, I pray in the Spirit more than any one of you. But when I come in the doors of the church, whatever that looked like in Corinth, then I want him to use me for the benefit of others. 
We're going to sing a song we've sung a hundred times here called God of Revival by Bethel Music. It's one of my favorites. Yes, I know. (laughs) And I have said this before. Revival is going to start. Really, revival, I think, is a process. Revival is not something that stops and starts. Revival is something that when people recognize their authority that they have in Jesus, the fact that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, with the ability for the gifts to manifest through them to other people, and they actually think about others before themselves, there it is. There it is. It's a challenge for every one of us because we want to come in here, and as Paul said, we want to be built up. But if we all have that mindset, and that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that, that's very scriptural, and that is, all of us need that. But if we can come in here and also think on top of that, I want to be used by God, because the only way these gifts are going to manifest is if we are willing to allow them to work through us. If we are willing to take that step of obedience, as Amber said up here before we started service, to be able to be obedient and actually give that gift to somebody, then we're going to experience something in this building that is going to carry outside the building. Because how many of you know if, if I can pick on on Sarah over here, she said her back was hurting this morning. Now, how many of us hear that from, from people every day? My back hurts. I got a headache. I got a migraine coming on. What if I went to that person, and we did, we prayed over Sarah this morning, but that's it. That's, I hear you, but I'm too, uh, I'm too scared to, to do anything about it. But if we came in here and we heard somebody say something like that, I'm hurting, that we just simply walk over and said, let me pray for you. See, I'm not even thinking about what gift is going to manifest. Like, I obviously was praying and believing that the gift of healing would manifest for Sarah. But my whole purpose and motivation is just to love on that person. I'm hearing somebody is hurting. I'm hearing somebody has a need. And I'm just simply going to be obedient and walk over and just be Jesus to that person. I'm just going to lay hands on them and believe they're going to be healed. Or I'm going to pray for them and believe that God is going to meet their need. But see, when I do that, I'm not thinking about the gift being manifested. I'm just thinking about the person. I'm just thinking about how I just want to love on that person. And see, that's so hard to do if all I'm doing when I walk through here on a Sunday is think about just me. Because what happens is you hear somebody says, I need healing, or somebody has a need, and you're so caught up in you, you do nothing. And that, my friends, is why revival is not breaking out. And I'm just as guilty. Are you with me this morning? Nevertheless, in church, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind, a language that everyone understands, in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. 
That is the attitude of edification. Verse 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. What I just explained to you is the mature thinking. God used me. Show me somebody that has a need, somebody that that needs a touch from you. And I will be obedient and I will go to them and I will pray for them and whatever gift that they need, I believe, that's the higher gift. You're gonna flow through me for me to give to them by the power of the Holy Spirit, not on my own strength. And that person is gonna be touched by you. That's the mature thinking. He says in the law, it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. That's out of Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11. Like God is always speaking, but nobody is listening. Nobody's listening because there's nobody that's hearing and nobody that's willing to operate in love. That is just, you hear and you know, but you just don't do nothing about it. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. That sounds somewhat confusing. But what he's saying here is, if I'm an unbeliever or an outsider, and I come to a church, and I hear somebody speak in tongues out loud, they're speaking in tongues out loud, that's going to get my attention. Amen? The first time I walked into Grace Fellowship Church 26 years ago, and I heard somebody praying in the Spirit, that got my attention being a former Catholic. That was a sign to me that something is going on. And I didn't have an understanding of what it was, but praise God, I had a girlfriend at the time, my, my now wife, Lisa, who explained to me, this is what's going to happen. You're going to hear something strange. It's going to be what we call tongues. And when you hear that, just understand it's a prayer language. Don't be freaked out by it, but believe me, first time hearing it, I was. But see, then, as somebody who's an outsider, it's a sign. It gets my attention. But then when it's interpreted, when that moment comes when someone prays in the Spirit out loud or speaks in the Spirit out loud, and then somebody in English, a language that we all understand, interprets it, then, oh, yeah. No, that was totally God. Now, I totally get it now. He's speaking to me. And that's a sign to me as an outsider or an unbeliever. But for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. So for me as a believer, if somebody stands up and gives a prophetic word in English out loud, then I'm, I know what that is. They're speaking right to me. I get it. I understand. You all right now understand what this is. But it's more impactful if we have a tongue and an interpretation. You guys understand that? There's something more impactful about that because now you know God is speaking in a very special way through people and it's interpreted and it's like, wow, God is truly in this place and I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you were out of your minds? I just, Paul in his clarity, it's what I think some of us have thought before. 
walk into a church and all we hear is people praying in the Spirit, man, are they crazy? Are they out of their minds? Look, remember, the first time you ever experienced that as a believer, did you think, whoa, this is, this is kind of weird? Absolutely. Imagine if you're somebody who's unchurched or an unbeliever who's never been exposed to anything like this coming in and hearing people pray in the Spirit and there's no interpretation and there's no explanation of what's going on, they're going to think what Paul said, you are out of your minds. But verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. In other words, if he hears something that God says, whether it's a tongue and interpretation or whether it's a word given in English, a prophetic word, they're going to repent. They're going to turn to Jesus. They're going to get saved. They're going to repent with everything they've ever done. They're going to fall on their face and all of a sudden they're going to begin to worship God in spirit and in truth. And then they will say, yes, God is truly in this place. That is what we want. That is the goal, to love people to the point where they say, God is here. God is truly here. This is not an act. This is not a service. No, this is a place we come together and we build up one another and God moves. People experience his presence in a powerful way, in a genuine, loving way, To where anyone that is an unbeliever has not yet received Jesus will say, I need Jesus right now. That is what we want. So he goes on in verse 26, and this is where we get to some fun stuff. This is the how. How does this all happen in church? If you have an ESV translation, the subheading is orderly worship. How many of us like order? I do. I'm from the military. I love order. So he says, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for what? Building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn and then let somebody interpret. So when we have someone speak in a tongue, and then there's an interpretation, there's one. Somebody else speaks in a tongue, an interpretation, there's two. And they say somebody else speaks in a tongue, an interpretation, there's three. That's it. That's it. Why? We still have to get to the word. Like, God gave me something to preach, I still got to get to that. Well, we'll be here all day. And I already know that some of you are watching the clock because you're ready to go to lunch right now. So he says, two, at the most, three. And whose responsibility is it to lead this service? The worship, orderly worship, it's really mine. I'm the pastor. It's my responsibility. So if we go beyond three and I cut you off, don't be offended. I will do it in love, I promise. (laughs) 
Verse 28, but if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. In other words, if you're just belt out speaking in tongues and there's no interpretation, then really you need to be silent. If you're just praising God in the spirit, then keep that between you and God and don't expect anything else to happen. Number, uh, verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. In other words, if we have, again, people speaking in English a prophetic word to the service that benefits everybody, then the same rule applies. No more than three. No more than three. And he said, in the spiritual, I'm sorry, verse 32, and the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. So what that means is there's self-control. You know, you can count in your head, okay, there's one, there's two, there's three, okay, I'm done. Maybe I need to save what it is that God has given me for another time. You don't come to me and say, well, I was, the Spirit possessed me and I was out of control. No, what he's saying here is the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. That means that the fruit of the Spirit called self-control, I have it. Just like we can pray in the Spirit when we want to, and we can stop praying in the Spirit when we're done. There's self-control. For the reason of this, verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of what? Peace. Not supposed to be confusing. That's why it's called indecent and order. This next section, I'm going to go about through it quickly. It's very controversial, but I'm going to give some light to it. Paul goes on, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should be kept silent in the churches. I was waiting for somebody to say amen. <laughs> for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. All right, how many of you women are offended by that verse, that passage? Yeah, I see some hands. Are you supposed to be silent in church? Absolutely not. Man, some of the, the most beautiful worship I've ever heard in a church is from you women as you, pray, as, you, yeah, as you pray and as you worship God. Some of the most important things I've ever heard in my life, words given to me, knowledge, wisdom given to me, like God using them to talk to me, are from women. Absolutely, women are not to be silent in church. This goes back to something that was happening. See, if I can just be honest... The men were going nuts. The men were going crazy in the Corinthian church to the point where the women who were sitting in the back, as it was tradition in those days, were asking, hey, honey, what are you doing out there? That, that's weird. Or, hey, rabbi, can you tell me what's going on here? Because I'm not really getting this. I think the women knew something was up. Which goes back to, husbands, listen to your wives. The tradition of the day was that if women had something that they needed to ask their husband or something to say, that they would say it privately at home and not disrupt the service based on where they were seated and based on the way things were back in those days when it came to men and women. 
But I think it's funny because I really think that the women were discerning what was going on and were really having some questions scratching their heads. And Paul was saying, don't interrupt the flow of the service by asking questions of your husbands or of the rabbi. Wait till you get home so that we can continue this decently in order service. Does that make sense? Verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the ones it has reached, the only ones that it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. What Paul is saying is, am I getting through to you? Or do you think too highly of yourself? Are you over-spiritualizing yourself to where you think that God can only use you and that the way that you're doing it is correct? No, what I'm saying to you is what God is saying to you. It needs to be done decently and in order. Decently meaning it's done in love. Orderly meaning two at the most three, not talking over each other. Everybody understands and benefits from what was being done. This is what God is telling you. If you cannot recognize that, then you basically need to go away. You need to be quiet. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. Again, the gift that's going to benefit the most people in the church. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. He's not talking about forbidding it. He's, done, he's talking about just doing it correctly. But all things should be done decently and in order. Decently and in order. So I have a couple of slides. The very first one. What is done decently? Check our motivation and the purpose. If you feel like God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is telling you to give a prophetic word or to speak in tongues and it be interpreted or to go and lay hands on somebody or to give somebody a word of wisdom or knowledge, whatever gift, the motivation is what? It's love. Always love. If for a minute you're thinking, this is going to show how spiritual I am, quiet. But if you truly are wanting to love the church or love the person that you're going to engage, that's decent. And the purpose. What's the purpose? If you're building up the church, if what you're going to say, what God is going to use you to say is encouraging, comforting for the upbuilding of the church, there you go. Love, edification. If it's not, then no. Order. Next slide. Order. Again, no more than two to three people and no speaking over others. And for what I've experienced here in the, in the short time that we've been in this building, when the gifts do operate, this has been going on. I think we've been doing good. But I think Moving forward, what's going to happen, and I'm going to show you here in a minute kind of my thoughts, is there's going to be some process and some order to this to where it remains that way. Next slide. Self-control. Not out of our minds. My faith says that we're going to get more and more new people in here. What I want them to experience as an outsider, and I'm using that as a loving term. If you're here for the first time, you're not an outsider. Paul is using that phrase 
to say that you're not, you were not here before, now you are. I want you all to know that we're not out of our minds. And the way that you're going to know that is if you feel like you're loved and you are encouraged, comforted, or built up. Self-control. Here's my main point. If you're taking notes, if the gifts of the Holy Spirit are properly being manifested, then they, they will declare that God is truly in this place. If we are going to, quote-unquote, allow God to move in this way, which if God's going to move, how many of us are going to be able to stop him? This really more is a heart issue. Like, our prayer as a church is, Father, I want you to move powerfully. We pray this all the time as a staff, as a worship and production team, as we're getting ready for for Sunday service, is that, God, we want you to move so powerfully that there's no way people are going to deny that your presence is here. They can't. That they will say God is truly here in this place. If this is being done properly, then we're going to have revival. So I'm not going to walk around and tell everybody in Broken Arrow that, hey, we're a church that still operates in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Come check us out. No. Instead, I'm just going to be the example. Instead, I'm going to see somebody hurting and I'm going to go to them and I'm going to ask them if I'm going to pray for them. And if they say yes, I'm going to pray for them. And in the back of my mind, I'm going to be asking God, give me the highest gift. And I'm going to believe that that gift's going to move. And that they're going to experience God in a powerful way, whether they're in here or out there, to where they want Jesus. They want to follow him.